talking to you. It is good to be in. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? I told someone I was talking to. Yeah, amen. Three of our ladies were in the hallway, and of them are our, our, our young ladies. Kind of. Anyway, um, anyway, so I said, you know, it's good to be here and stuff, you know. And I said, you know, it beats the, you know, the nursing home and the funeral home. And they said, they smiled and said, that's right, preacher, that's right. So we are just glad that you are here today, and I pray it be a great blessing. You know, I'm starting to really understand why I am so enamored with these songs, these newer songs. Y'all know me. I, I love music. I love the old hymns. But, man, these new songs is that line. I, I, we've sang that song lots of times. But I never caught this line. The judge is my defense. Now just let that soak in. If you've got some, if you've got a charge against you and you walk into the courtroom and the judge is on your side, is that good or what? Well, that's what it is. The judge, Jesus, is our defense. So you, we can face eternity and all that with total confidence because the judge is our defense. That's why I like about it. I just really do. I love to play on the words sometimes that, that it has. All right, well, listen, we're in what? Week number three, I think, of our series, Stormproof. We found out that we live in a very stormy world. We talked about the source of the storms, but we live in a stormy, stormy world. And so, because of that, we wisely should choose to stormproof our life. So, based on Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, we're looking at various ways we can stormproof. Our lives. How we look at that, you know, and it's kind of weird because you think, you know, what, what? Well, you know, in verse number two last week, Paul talked about unity. He talked about we had these two ladies that were fussing, you know, and said, y'all need to come together. And what we what we decided, the big picture was, is that we're better together. We're better together. You know, we become strong when we're together. You know, you know, towns have DBC strong, uh, Harrisburg strong, Joplin strong, Boston strong. And what they're saying is we are stronger together. We need to pull together and we're stronger. And that's just true. And now, now Paul wants to teach us another way to stormproof our lives. And I've entitled it Laughter in the Rain. Laughter. How can we laugh? In the rain. Well, let me begin by telling you a story. Um, back in the fall of 1974, um, I met a young Georgia peach. And I actually wanted you to kind of meet her as I saw her back then. So if you'll throw that picture up there, there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I quickly um, became enamored. <laughs> I, uh, I fell in love pretty quick. You know, I think she did too. So not love at first sight, that kind of thing. But it was pretty close. I mean, we pretty much tied our lives together, you know, really early on in the game. We just fell in love with each other. And so one day, and I asked Judy, I said, was it the fall of 74 or the spring of 75? And we, I think she agreed with me. It was probably early spring 1975. And so after church, yes, we went to church. After church, we got in my car and we drove to about 25 or 30 miles to Reed Bingham State Park. And this is in Georgia. And it, it was rainy and it was misty, but we decided to go anyway. And so we get there and we park. And yes, it's rainy and it's misty. And, and we're walking in the rain. And in fact, now listen to this. Y'all be really impressed. You know, there was water there. And it was probably sometimes, like if I remember correctly, six inches deep. And so I get Judy on my back. I get Judy on my back, you know. And I got my shoes wet. 
and I'd carry her to the side and oh, it was romantic, and gently set her down there, you know. And so, anyway, so, so we take this little walk, okay, and of course we're, we're wet because it's raining, and so we get back to my car, and I told her, I said, you can't get in the car because you're wet. No, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I, I, I opened the door, and we cranked the engine, and this was a song that in February of 1975 was number one, okay, and it was sung by Neil Sedaka. And it's called Laughter in the Rain. Okay? And it became our song. I mean, for 43 years, it's our song. It's song. Um, I, that and love will keep us together. That's just the two um, that Neil Sedaka sang that, that were there. But here's the I want you to hear the chorus, okay? And, and I want you to be ready to grab the spiritual implications of this, okay? Here's what the chorus says Oh, I hear laughter in the rain. Walking hand in hand with the one I love. Oh, how I love the rainy days and the happy way I feel inside. And that was true. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not one to just go walking in the rain. I'm not, for you older folks, I'm not Gene Kelly. I'm walking in the rain. I'm not that guy, okay? I'm just not. But, but here's the deal. Because I was with the one I loved, it changed everything. So I was walking in the rain hand in hand with the one I love. And that taught me to love rainy days. What's the spiritual implication? The spiritual implication is this. I hear laughter in the rain. We can laugh in the rain when we're walking with the one hand in hand with the one I love. And that one is Jesus Christ. When we learn to walk through life hand in hand with Jesus, even though it's raining in our lives, okay, then we can enjoy, in fact, it says, oh, how I love the rainy days and the happy way I feel inside. So today we want to look at how can we, when the, when the rain clouds come, when the storms come in our lives, how can we laugh in the rain? Now, keep in mind, don't lose sight of this, that Paul is in prison, okay, he's in a Roman prison, the outcome is certainly uncertain. Eventually, by the way, he will be headed uh, from a Roman prison. Okay, so, so the outcome's not certain. And then he writes these words. So it really validates what he says. Okay, and, and almost surprisingly, here's what he says. He says in Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now, we could say it this way. Laugh in the rain in the Lord always. Again, I say, laugh in the rain. So it seems so illogical, okay? It just doesn't make any sense. He says, be joyful. Be joyful. And then he says, always. Well, now, now let me ask you a question. If, if you get a pay raise, is that, is that easy to rejoice in? Yeah, yeah. Hey, ladies, you're really trying to bless your husband on anniversary, and you do it. You hit a home run. Is that easy to rejoice? You're supposed to say yes. Okay, you're supposed to say yes. So, so when your children bring home a great report card, you know, five A's and a B, is that easy to rejoice? Sure it is. Sure it is. So in the good times, it's easy to rejoice. But he doesn't say... Rejoice in the good times. He says rejoice always. Always. 
And all of a sudden, that kind of grates, and you kind of go, well, how do you even do that? How does that work out? Well, notice it's a, here's a clue. If you like mysteries, here's a clue. He doesn't say just rejoice always. He said rejoice in the Lord always. Because of the... Now listen, pay attention. Because of the Lord, rejoice. He puts the Jesus factor right in there. And he says rejoice, be joyful, no matter what. Rejoice because of Jesus. All right, so it's very, very, very strong, very powerful. Now, C.S. Lewis... Now, C.S. Lewis was an author from the 1930s, that time period, and he was definitely not a Christian, and then he got saved and became a Christian, and his wife died, and then, like I say, he kept living uh, this incredible faith out. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. So you kind of go, Really? I mean, of all the things that could be serious business in heaven, joy? I mean, of all the things, of all the spiritual truths and all of that, really? Joy? Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, if you get what I'm fixing to say, you, you may have an aha moment. You may have an aha moment, okay? Because of what we normally think about joy, okay? Joy is more than an emotion and more than a feeling. Joy is more. If all joy was an emotion, C.S. Lewis would have never said that. If, if joy was just a feeling, he never would have said that. But there's so much more than just that. Now, back in 2015, a movie came out entitled Inside Out. Anybody see that? Yeah, it was really a good film. It was an animated film, Pixar film. And it's about a little girl named Riley... Okay, and we had the opportunity to look inside her head and see the emotions. And there's like, if I remember correctly, you've got that slide. There we go. There you go. I don't know how big that is for you. I hope it's big enough for you to see it. But all these emotions, these five emotions, are living inside of Riley, okay? And it's kind of the story about how these emotions work in Riley's life, okay? And the star of the show is Joy. Is Joy. Let me just read to you what it says there. When the film begins, the emotion of Joy personified by a manic pixie uh, type, helms or takes control of the emotions inside Riley's mind. Her overarching goal is to make sure that Riley is always happy. So these emotions are running around this little girl's head, okay, and Joy wants to always be in control because she always wants to be for Riley to be happy. Now here's the deal, okay? That makes for a great film. I mean, seriously, if, if you haven't seen it, go Netflix or something and watch it. It's really, it's valuable. It's got some good lessons in it. It's valuable. But and that makes for a great Pixar film, but it doesn't make for a good, you know, for truth in life. The truth is, you're, all, you're not always going to be happy. You're just not always going to be happy. In fact, if, if we view joy that way, that we're always over-the-top happy, we just have to tear Philippians 4 right out of the Bible. Where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I say again, rejoice. There's just some times, if joy is an emotion, I wouldn't be very joyful. You know, it might be like, I don't know, you've got in the middle of the night and stubbed your toe on the end of the bed. There's something I'm feeling and it's not joy. And there's words I might think that are not in the Bible. Okay? So, so that's just not it. That's not it. So, so the question is, 
What if, for the believer, for the Christ follower, what if joy was something different? What if it's not an emotion? It may be for the world. What if it's not a feeling? It may be for the world. What if it's something different? Well, several months ago, preaching on, I'm not sure the whole sermon's on joy, okay? But I threw this definition out for you to grab a hold of. And I want to use it again today because it's so valuable. It's so valuable, okay? Here's the definition, a good biblical definition of joy. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. Now park there just a minute. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. It's, it's what the guy felt when he, when he lost his daughters and his son, and he wrote the song, It Well With My Soul. Some of you say, how can a guy lose his daughters, lose his son, lose his business, get out in the middle of the ocean where the two ships collide, gets on the bow of a ship and writes, when peace like a river attendeth my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll. How do you do that? Well, he, you have joy. You have a sense of well-being. Now watch, watch, watch. Based on, based on, not circumstances, based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. We pretty well understand faith in God. It was probably three years ago, four years ago, Matt was here preaching, Matt O. He was on stage preaching. He was talking about salvation. He was trying to illustrate you know, faith and belief in Jesus. And he, if I remember correctly, he had us on this side, and there's a great gulf there, and there's a side over there, okay? And there was a bridge across this gulf. And he said, it's one thing to stand on this side, look at the bridge, and say, I believe. I believe. Okay? It's another thing he said that day when you go to the bridge and you take your first step. And you put your weight on that bridge. At that point, you are exercising faith in the bridge. So we kind of get that down. You know, Patrick Overton, and this is not exact quote anymore, but I've had this in my head since 19, probably 1981, somewhere in there. You know, he says, when you've walked and you've come to the edge of darkness and you've gone as far as you can see, then you've got to take the next step and believe one of two things. That God will give you something to solid to step on or he'll teach you how to fly. It's a great, great illustration of faith. He'll give you something to step upon or he'll teach you how to fly. So we kind of got faith. We kind of understand faith. We get that. But, but don't miss the trust in his sovereign will. Sovereign will. Sovereignty is a really big topic. And I don't want to gloss over it. But the bottom line is this. It's just the belief that God's in control. That Satan's not. Circumstances are not. We don't believe in accidents as a Christ follower, and we don't believe in, in you know, co- you know, co- you know, coincidences. We don't believe in that. Okay? We believe... Y'all believe that? Sovereign God's in control? I ain't going on with y'all say amen. It could be... A, you better put your dinner on hold. <laughs> yeah, I just want you... I, listen, listen, listen. I want you to get a hold of that. Because I hear it too much that Satan can do what he wants to when he wants to. I don't know who your God is, but it's not Jehovah God. Because Jehovah God says, uh-uh. Uh-uh. 
Satan ain't got that much power. He ain't got that much authority. Okay? So sovereignty is that God is in control. Um, I love Psalm 139.16. Your eyes, your eyes, God's eyes, your eyes saw me when I was formless. When I was just a, a glob of cells, still a human being, a glob of cells in the womb. Now, now listen to this. All my days, how many? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. That's believing in the sovereignty of God. That's believing that God does it. Remember the old tract that said, God has a wonderful plan for your life? He does. He does. And He has this wonderful plan. Now, what we choose to do with that, of course, is self-will. It's, you know, it's, it's free will. Okay? But before our lives are even, you know, before we even you know, are out of the mother's womb, then He has this plan for us. And it's, it's before, you know, every day was planned before I was even born. And then Isaiah 46.10 says this. I declare, this is God speaking, I declare the end from the beginning. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done. In other words, before any of this is done, okay, here's what he says. My plan will take place and I will do all my will. Wow. That's a powerful God. Before any of it happened, he said, here's the deal. I'm God, and my will will be done. It will be done. So because of that, if, if you believe that, if you put your faith and trust in, in God, if you believe and trust in his sovereign will, then all of a sudden James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 starts making sense. Now, we've done this one before. Here's what James 1, 2 and 3 says. Consider it great joy when you experience various trials. Now see, if you think emotion, that makes no sense. If you think feelings, that makes no sense. But, but consider, it, consider it a deep sense of well-being based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will whenever you experience trials. That makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world. And he goes on and says this, because you saw that, or you saw, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's, when storms come into our lives, God is working a purpose out for that. Okay? Now, probably two years ago, um, my friend Jim Lindsay called me and said, Hey, are you at the office? I said, Yes. And he said, I'd like to come by and pick you up and show you something. I said, Okay. So a few minutes, he pulls up. I just knew I was going to get lunch out of the deal, and I didn't. Um, but anyway... So, anyway, so he pulls up and picks me up, and he takes me over on Small Street, okay, heading toward uh, Rule King and Kroger's, going that way, and there it was, an empty field. An empty field. He was going to show me something, but unfortunately, the combine had come through, and there was nothing to see but an empty field. And he goes, oh, man, they cut it. So he explained it to me, and I said, oh, that's really cool. Well... I was going to get gas at Kroger's, diesel, at Kroger's, and I looked to my left, and I saw what he wanted me to see two years ago. And I have a picture for you to see. There you go. Now, I think it's probably clear enough where you can see it. Um, If you go toward Kroger's, on the left, there's a soybean field there. Now, you can clearly see 
that there's an ark of green. Do you see that? There's an ark of green, and then there's this massive area of brown soybeans. Okay? So what is the significance? Somebody said, why are you talking about soybeans today? I said, you'll have to wait and see. Because it's a beautiful picture, again, of what God is working in our lives. Here's what you need to know. A lot of varieties, including these, of soybeans require, someone say require, require 10 hours of darkness to bloom and produce beans. They require 10 hours of darkness to bloom and produce fruit. Okay? What happens if they don't have 10 hours of darkness? You see that green there? Those are some of the healthiest soybean plants you'll ever see. But there's not a bean on them. You know why? See the street light in the picture? That's why they're green. They have light 24 hours a day. And without 10 hours of darkness, they can't bloom and they can't produce beans. Now here's what you need to know. God loves you, but he knows something. We need darkness in our life sometimes. Because it's in the darkness that we learn to trust God like he wants us to. It's in the darkness that we bloom and blossom and bear fruit. Amen? Get that. So the next time, the next time a dark season, a storm comes into your life, if you truly, y'all need to, I'll be writing down, write down, write down. If you truly believe in the sovereignty of God, that all things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose, or love him, God according to his purpose, if you truly believe that, then you understand God is working to bring fruit into your life. We grow in the dark times. We don't grow on the mountaintops when everything's going great. That's the joy feeling. We grow in the dark times of our lives. Thankfully, it's not always dark. But we need dark times to grow. To grow. And that's so significant when you think about it. Um, Phillips, John Phillips said, you know, when trials come, when storms come, when rain showers come... Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends and opportunities to trust. Okay, so this is why rain is so important. And if we had the right, the right uh, approach and attitude that we have faith in God, okay, and, and we trust his sovereignty, we can laugh in the rain. We can laugh in the rain. Without that, <laughs> you become whiners and complainers. Now, I can say that because I'm the king of whiners. Ask my family. They'll tell you. You know, when I get a cold, it is the end of the world. I tried last time I had a cold to get Judy called 911, and she would not do it. She would not do it. She just didn't understand. Now, how many of y'all ever had a man cold? I mean, we're talking about a throat. Well, actually, that's what the women call it when guys feel like they're dying, and they're not. Okay? We know we are, men. I'm on your side. Okay? But the ladies think, well, just, just buck up, you know? Just handle it. Just handle it, all right? So, so here we are then, okay? We got James saying all this, and then we got this darkness coming. But however, it's for our profit and for our good. Now, because of that, when you start thinking about the joy situation, things start falling in place in the Word of God. Listen to Hebrews 12, 2. And hopefully this will just be a different spin for you. In Hebrews 12, 2, here's what, and there's a psalm today that said this. Keeping your eyes on Jesus... Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and protector of our faith. The source and protector of our faith. Now watch, watch. 
for the joy. Not an emotion. I mean, can you see Jesus? Get to be crucified on Friday. I just can't wait. You would thank him insane. Who for the joy, this deep sense of well-being based on faith in his father and trust in his father's sovereign will that lay before him. See, that makes all the sense in the world. His faith and trust in his father, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That makes all the sense in the world. When it said, who for the joy that was set before him, it was his faith and trust in his father that allowed him to endure the cross. Listen, we have that song that says, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross. It was wonderful for us. It was anything but wonderful for him. Don't ever lose sight of that. But he did it out of his love. And he was able to do it because of trust and faith in his father. Is this making sense? Is this making sense? I mean, you know, man, this is, this, you just need to write this stuff down. All right? Now, do you remember when you were a kid and you sang the Joy, Joy, Joy song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Remember that song? Now, watch this. I, I mean, it just jumped off the page at me, okay? Well, I don't have a page. It came out of my brain. But I got thing. I said, what, are those, what does the second, third verse say? I, I thought I remembered it, and I did. Listen to the second verse of I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Here's what the second verse says. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Well, where'd they get that from? Oh, they understood joy was a deep sense of well-being based on faith in God and a trust in God's sovereign will. That's why they wrote those words that say, I've got the peace that passes understanding. Oh, 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 third verse. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. Oh, why did they write that? Oh, because they understood that that joy is a deep sense of peace, of, of, of resting in Christ, okay? You know, based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. I mean, they totally get it right. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now C.S. Lewis's quote about joy is the serious business of heaven is starting to make sense. It also makes sense what Billy Sunday said. Billy Sunday was a mm, late 1800s, early 1900s preacher. Actually, he was a professional baseball player and making great money. He was good at it. He started going to church. There was a chapel close by where you know, he stayed in his apartment, started going to church, and he got saved. And it was just not very much longer. He got out. He gave the ball up and became a gospel preacher. And he was known for some pretty, I mean, he was hard, he was a hard, no pun intended, he was a hardball preacher. He would take, he would often take chairs and bust them on the stage to get people's attention. It was that serious to him. Here's what he says. If you have no joy, if you have no deep sense of well-being based on faith in God and trust in his sovereign will, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If you don't have joy, as we've defined it, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And he's totally right. He's totally right. Because, again, if joy is based on faith and trust, and we don't have faith and trust in God, there's a leak in our Christianity. And that is a dangerous thing. Would you say amen? That's a dangerous thing. 
So what do we do? We get us a can of Flex Seal. Y'all seen them commercials? Yeah, buddy. They take that thing, they spray it on a screen door and launch a boat out there and water doesn't come in. The Flex flex Seal seeps into every crook and cranny and seals it. And let me tell you something. We need, if we're going to face the storms, we need to Flex Seal spiritually our lives. Put our total faith. Listen, a part-time faith is no faith at all. And a part-time trust is no trust at all. It is, listen, can I just be blunt? It is time we get serious with God. It is time that we start living our lives as if we really believe what all that book says. All of it. All of it. We need to do this. All right? So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we, if we flex seal our, our lives and stormproof our lives based on trusting God and, and faith in God, okay, then things change. We, we can start believing. The, here's a novel idea. We can start believing the Word of God. I, I don't preach this scripture very often. No, 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 no reason. It's just not often on my radar. But, but, but some of you know it, I promise you. It's Philippians 4.19. And my God shall or will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now keep in mind, this is written from a guy in prison. And it's written to a group of people who gave sacrificially to take care of him. A guy in prison and people who gave sacrificially. And to those people, the guy in prison says... My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, he didn't say wants, but he didn't say needs. We've got to start believing that. We've got to believe that God wants to be active in our lives, and he's a God who can be trusted. And, and, I, and, and you won't know that until you do it. You know, I mean, you could buy a gym membership, but dude, if you don't go in there and pump iron, yeah, things ain't going to change. Things aren't going to change. Okay, so my God shall supply. We, start, we can start believing that. We, we can start living a different way. Listen to this. We flex seal, keep, keep, you know, keep everything in. Listen, I have learned, this is Philippians 4, 11, and 12. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I have learned to be content in whatever my circumstances. Now, here's what's cool about Paul. Paul would go visit a certain place, and he'd be a rock star. Paul's in town. Paul's in town. Churches would be packed. People would come. The, you know, it's just awesome. He's a rock star. Then he goes 50 miles down the road, and he's put in prison, and he's breaking rocks in a Roman prison. He would go from, from rock star to hard labor. That was Paul's life. And, and that guy, that guy says, I have learned to be content. Someone say content. I have learned to be content in all or whatever the circumstances. I find myself. I know how to uh, make do with little. I know how to uh, make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whatever, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. He said, I have learned this. And I honestly, based on what he's written, it's because of his joy. Not an emotion, not a feeling, but a deep sense of well-being based on faith in God and trust in God's sovereign will. Someone said, Paul, Paul would have said this, but it's not attributed to Paul. In fact, he didn't have a source. I find joy in life. 
I find joy in life not because life is always good. Is anybody's life always good? Listen, you can be the most optimistic person you want to be, but life is not always good. I'm sorry, the glass is not always half full. Sometimes it's just not. So, so I, I find joy in life not because life is always good, but because God always is. Yeah, that's a good place for an amen. It's not, it's not because I, I find joy, the author says. I find joy not because my life is woo. I, I find joy because my God is woo. And when God is woo, you're okay. You're good. You're good. You're good. I mean, it just changes everything. And, and again, several of you love uh, Philippians 4.13. And don't forget the context of this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, the context is not I can lose 50 pounds. The context is not I can run 50 miles. The context is I'm locked in prison, okay, and I can have joy, okay, regardless of what, because of Jesus Christ. The secret sauce is faith in God and trust in his sovereign will. That's the secret sauce. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's done them with joy. And then he says, oh, and by the way, he says, and by the way, let your graciousness be known to everyone. So he says, here's the deal. Inside of you, okay, as a Christ follower, you've got all this joy, this, this deep-seated peace based on faith in God and, and based on, you know, trust in the sovereign will. It's in there, okay? But here's the deal. If it's in there... It's going to have to ooze out. It's going to have to ooze out. So Paul said, okay, okay, you got that. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have joy. But there's something else you need to know. And, and they would go, well, what is that, Paul? Let your graciousness, let your kindness be known to everyone. You can have all this joy in there but you, and still be a, a not nice person. And so Paul says, you know, you got the joy in there bubbling and cooking away. Now be sure it manifests itself outside in the area of kindness, in the area of kindness. You know, you have to decide. Last time I said this, I said it wrong. But I got it this time because I got it on the internet. You got to decide if you're a Winnie or an Eeyore. When I said it last time, I said Enor. And everybody goes, it's not Enor, it's Eeyore. Well, I looked this up on the internet. Now I'm good. So are you a Winnie or you're an Eeyore? Are you the person that adds air to the room or sucks air out of the room? Are you the person that people flock to or run from? Now, are, are we? Paul says, listen, you got the joy thing going on, but let it ooze out. Let your kindness and let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, I found this quote. And ladies, you need to go home, print this off on your color printer, and stick it on your refrigerator. I would tell the guys to do that, but we still do that kind of stuff. Okay, we don't. We don't. Okay. You remember Johnny Cash saying a song entitled A Boy Named Sue? My name is Sue. 
How do you do? Now you're going to die. Remember that? Okay, well, this is a quote by George Sand. Is not a guy. It was a girl named George. Okay? She was a French writer from the 17th century. Okay? Listen to what she said. Guard well within yourself that treasure kindness. Guard well that treasure within you kindness. And these three things are so powerful. Know how to give without expectation or hesitation. Know how to give without hesitation. How to lose without regret. And how to acquire without meanness. Is that not good? Come on, y'all. Y'all act like you're not there. Isn't that good? I, ladies, you need to show your kid every morning before he goes to school. Here, here, you need to remember this. You know how to give without hesitation, how to lose without regret, and how to acquire without means. Now go to school. Now go to school. It's awesome. Let your kindness, let your graciousness be there. Now, here's what I just mentioned school. You know, every morning we get up and get dressed. Okay? And there's, you know, you, you usually need a either a dress or pants. You need a shirt, you know, undergarments, things like that, okay? Well, Paul says, well, you need to get dressed every day. And here's what he's saying in Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen. You've got to get dressed every morning, and here's what you put on. Compassionate hearts. Here it is, here it is, or wait for it. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul says it's really important we learn to be kind. And by the way, transparency moment, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm still a work in progress. Judy has on her pair of shorts that she works out in, hashtag unfinished. I'm still in works, guys. And you know what? Most of us are. All of us are, really. So we need to work that kindness thing out. And then he says last, and this is so good. I'm glad we got time today. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 4, 5, the second part. Chapter 4, verse 5, the second part. The Lord is near. Now, I think this is really significant. Because Paul doesn't say the coming of the Lord is near. That's not what he's saying. By the way, I think it is. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying the coming of the Lord is near. He's saying the Lord is near. And that's very powerful. Aren't you glad? Listen, when you're walking in, when there's a rain shower in your life, aren't you glad God is near? When you're at the doctor's office and you get really bad news, aren't you glad God, the Lord, is near? When you're going through a difficult time with your children and you don't know what to do, or kids, you're going through a difficult time with your parents and you don't know what to do, aren't you glad God is near? It's a biblical truth we need to grab a hold of. You know, again, we do not have time to go into death. But you remember the story of Elijah, great victory on Mount Carmel, and then Jezebel threatens, I'm going to kill you. And he runs and runs and runs virtually to as far as he can run to the end of the earth. That's how far he runs, hiding in a cave. God shows up and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And finally God says this, and this is 1 Kings 19, 11, 12. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. 
But the Lord was not in the wind. There's this huge wind blowing. I mean, rocks are flying. But God was not in the wind. And then it goes a little bit further. He says, after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But God was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice. A soft whisper. God is near. God is near. You generally whisper when someone is near. Someone wrote and said, God whispers because he's close. God whispers because he is close. Someone else said, make time for quiet moments as God whispers and the world is loud. Make time for quiet moments for God whispers and the world is loud. Mark Batterson, a young pastor, said, God often speaks the loudest when we are the quietest. You want to know why you need to have a quiet time? Because you need to get quiet. You need a quiet time because you need to get quiet because God whispers, and you will miss him if the world's shouting at you. Lisa Turkis said this, I must exchange whispers with God before shouts with the world. Before you... Before you go out in that world of shouting and shouting and shouting, you must exchange whispers with God. Whispers with God. Let me close up with this one scripture. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Wait a minute, preacher. That's why I don't come to church. Don't talk about money. I'm not talking about money. I just need to read that conclusive verse. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said... I will never. Would someone say never, please? Never. Yeah. I will never leave you or abandon you. God is near. Hey, in, in your mountain, your greatest success, your greatest success, God is near. Well, you say, well, yeah, because I'm being good. Here's what you don't understand. In your greatest failure, God is near. See, <laughs> if you understand... Psalm 139, all the days of your life were planned. He knew all your failures. And he forgave them on Calvary's cross. And he's not going to one day walk up and say, you have, ne- you have exceeded your credit limit. No. God's grace has no limit. And he will love and love and love and love. I've never heard these words used before. But I was reading a devotion. Actually, it's a reading plan in you version. And <laughs> it just really grabbed me. Really good. It's a guy named uh, Bob Goff, and it's one of Judy's authors. She likes to read his book. And um, here's what Bob Goff said. I've never heard it put this way. God's not giving us the hairy eyeball. Now, I know Judy's got the look. How many of you men have seen the look? Oh, afraid to raise your hands, huh? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've had the look. I'm exactly. Ooh, I hear laughter in the rain. God's not giving us the hairy eyeball when we make mistakes. He's not giving you the look when you make a mistake. He's pointing toward the horizon with a gleam in his eye and asking us to lift our eyes up toward a better story. Listen, listen. He wants to tell a story of redemption. That's the business God is in. He is a redeeming God. 
If you're here today and you didn't want to know God, didn't want to hear about God, someone offered you a free lunch is why you're here. Guess what? He wants to write a story in your life. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a Roman cross. And he did it not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And he paid the price for my sin and your sin and your sin. He paid that very price. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. He wants to write a story of redemption. And if you're here today and you've gone through storms and man, your life is a, you know, it looks like a war zone, like a bomb's gone off in your life. He wants to write a story of redemption. And, and what's really cool is he knows the storms you're going to face two weeks from now. And he goes, Dwayne, I'm going to write a redemption story in your life. I know the bad choices you're going to make. And I want to write a redemption story in your life. And that's what God wants. And it all comes down to faith in God and trust in a sovereign will. Now, we always end our service with a time of decision. And we're going to do that today. My friend Brent will be standing down front. And if you're here today, man, it's like several things. If you're here today, and you know what? You've never done the God thing. You never been a, you never care much about God, but something today, you know, got in your heart and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to know this. You come down and tell Brent, say, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know about him dying for me. I want to know more about God. We will do our very best to answer your questions and share with you. Uh, we could have a testimony time a long time about people in this room who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and how God wrote a redemption story in our lives. Um, perhaps you're here today and you just want to come and pray. You, you need God to write a redemption story. You messed up. You messed up big, and God just wants to write a redemption story, okay, in your lives. The altar is open for that. Maybe God spoke to you today about joining our church fellowship. We'd love to talk to you about that. Whatever it is, this is our time. It's an opportunity for you to act on the truth that you heard today. An opportunity for you to act on the truth that you heard today. And we can pray with you and talk with you, and we'd love to do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing this truth today. I want to thank you that we can put our faith in you. I want to be thankful that we can trust your sovereignty. I'm glad, God, that Satan's not even close, that the God of the universe is in control. My Father, our Father, is in control. And the eye of the storm, the song said, you are in control. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you'll talk to folks today, whether it's about their sins being forgiven or writing restore redemption and restoration because they kind of walked away from you. Or maybe just a word of encouragement today, whatever it might be, while we pray for your will be done in their lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.